good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint this Daniel over the entire kingdom. Commissioners and satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful, no negligence or corruption was found in him. And then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it in regard to the law of his God. So these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke as follows. King Darius, live forever. All commissioners of the kingdom, prefects and satraps, high officials and governors consulted that you, O king, should establish a statute and enforce injunction that anyone who makes a petition, in other words, anyone who prays to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now... O king, establish the injunction. Sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which can't be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. And when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petition and supplication before God, and they approached and spoke to the king. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? And the king replied, The statement is true according to the law of Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. And then they answered and spoke to the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. He keeps praying to God three times a day. Then, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deep, deeply distressed, set his mind on delivering D Daniel, and until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue Daniel. Then these men came by agreement to the king, and they said, Recognize, O king, it's the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed and so the king gave orders, verse 16, and Daniel was brought in and he was cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. And the king went off to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No entertainment was brought before him and sleep fled from him. And then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and he went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel responded, King, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before you 
before him, and also toward you, O king, I've committed no crime. And the king was pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. Daniel was taken out, no injury found on him because he trusted God. The king then gave orders. They brought the men who maliciously accused Daniel. They cast them, their children, their wives, into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who, is dis- who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. You may have heard this growing up in Sunday school. If you attended Sunday school, you may be familiar with this famous story of how Daniel was thrown into a den, but the lions didn't eat him. But more importantly, what I want to talk about today, I can talk about lions, I can talk about those miracles, but what what I want to hone in on is prayer, prayer. Because at the center of this entire crisis in chapter 6, it was not worship. It was not idolatry. So like previously, they made made the young Jews worship idols, uh, and they refused. But in this case, specifically, the crisis surrounds prayer. Prayer. Why is prayer such a big deal? And I'm going to talk about that in three headings. And you'll find this in your notes, the outline The first aspect of Daniel's prayer, the first aspect of Daniel's prayer is that it was private. It was done privately. Why is there a problem if it was private prayer? But there's a second aspect of Daniel's prayer. It was public as well. Not only was Daniel's praying private, it was also public. There was something about it that was public. And third and last, Daniel's prayers were fighting prayers. They were prayers that fought Now, when I say fighting prayer, I don't mean fighting against prayer. I mean prayer that has the quality of fighting. Singing that has the quality of fighting. There's this aspect where we come to church and are we passive bystanders and observers? Or are we participants actively fighting? You know, one of the hardest things, I'll tell you the truth, for me, is coming to church or having small group when I've just had an argument with my wife. That's just about the hardest thing to do. And maybe some of you know what this experience is like. You've just had an argument with your, your spouse or with a friend maybe even. And on the way to small group or on the way to church, there's a sense that you almost have to fight There's a sense that you're fighting yourself, that we're fighting, but that's exactly it. Yes, there is a sense where we fight. All the time we have to fight ourselves. All the time. It's not just when you have a quarrel with a loved one. All the time we have to fight our baser instincts. All of the time we have to fight our inclinations. We have to fight sleep. We have to pray. We have to fight laziness. We have to fight within ourselves something that's called the middle brain. This is therapy talk. The middle brain where your brain is telling you, you know, I'd really just fight or flight or I'd really just check out. I'd really just resort to my baser instincts. 
No, you have to fight to logically bring yourself to your frontal cortex and rationally push through and find God's way in the midst of some of these crazy talk that's going on in our heads. When crazy talk is going on, we have to fight. That is the purpose of prayer. That is the purpose of praise. Fight. Fighting prayer. Okay, I've already touched on the third and last heading, and I haven't even begun with the first. Let's talk about private prayer, the first heading. Prayer that is private. I remember 25 years ago, back in the Stone Age, in the Neolithic period, in 1993, 25 years ago, I was a high school student in New York City. And to give myself some credibility here, this was 59th Street and 2nd Avenue. And I was in high school, and I don't know how many of you in high school do this kind of thing. But maybe it was because I was a church kid, they said uh, I was part of something called Seekers Christian Fellowship. Seekers Christian Fellowship. Has anybody, has, has anybody heard of that? Honestly. One person, because I know you're from New York as well. Seekers Christian Fellowship. I was part of this in high school. And they said it's, I think it's, I don't know if it was National Day of Prayer or if it was Meet, you, meet Me at the Flagpole. It was one of these prayer events. And it was in the winter. And I was on 59th Street, 2nd Avenue and gathering on this cold corner. And I was early with a group of Christians praying at the school flagpole. And people were walking by. And I remember feeling so awkward. It was so awkward. Especially if there was that cute girl that sat in my um, seventh period class. And she walked by and I'm praying and I'm trying not to. Um, I just open my eyes and I'm just talking to somebody across from me. But then she's like, what are they doing? And it felt so awkward. So awkward to pray publicly. So awkward to do publicly what, you know, I, I do this just fine privately. Praying privately, I do it just fine. Why do I need to do publicly what I do fine privately? You see, for Daniel, this is the central crisis in chapter 6. This is the central crisis. Daniel could have prayed privately. He could have easily done, nobody's staring at him saying, what is he doing? What, what, are, why, why, what, what is that? You're praying? He could have easily done privately, but chose to do almost publicly. And so that's where private prayer starts to almost meet public prayer. And this gets us in, into our second heading, public prayer. What started out as private, Daniel says, well, if I pray privately, you know, People will look at me. They'll say, he's a weirdo. He's a Christian. He's a religious freak. At worst, he'll end up in the lion's den. But what we see in verse 10 is when Daniel knew the document was signed, he entered his house and he shut the doors and he went inside his prayer closet and he prayed like this, quietly, dear Jesus. No, that's not what it says. What does it say in verse 10? Look, what does it say in verse 10? He entered his house in his roof chamber. Now Daniel is an influential person. He's high up. He has a large house. Probably a home, multiple stories, in a roof chamber, opening the doors wide. Everybody can see him. And with windows wide open toward Jerusalem, he kept kneeling on his knees three times a day, Praying and giving thanks before his God, just as he had been doing previously. 
Daniel could have prayed privately. Instead, he opened the doors and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's the great Jewish prayer or some version of some Jewish prayer. But he prayed publicly, not just privately, but publicly. Why did he do that? Why did Daniel pray publicly with his windows wide open when he had every option to pray privately? I think there's a little bit of history behind this. Hang with me as I teach a little bit of what happened historically. You see, before Daniel's time, back in the day, people prayed publicly. Everybody prayed publicly. That's because they had something called the temple in Jerusalem. And when you gathered at the temple, everybody prayed. Perhaps, uh, perhaps incense was burnt. Perhaps there was a call to worship. Everybody bowed. Everybody prayed. No one was shy about praying because everybody did it together. Prayer was public. But something happened in the time of Daniel, in Daniel's lifetime, something important happened that would lead to the evolution of prayer. And that important historic event was the destruction of the temple. Nebuchadnezzar himself destroyed the temple. He raised Jerusalem. And as a result, there was nowhere left for the people to pray. There was no temple for people to pray anymore. What happens when there's no place of prayer left? When there's nowhere left to pray? What happens? When there's nowhere left to pray, everywhere becomes a place of prayer. When there's nowhere left to pray, anywhere can become a place of prayer. Daniel has the right now to pray privately because there is no temple. He can shut the doors, but he says, I stand with the God of Israel. What I can do privately, I will do publicly just as we had done. I will open my windows and I will pray toward Jerusalem. I will pray. There is a sense of fighting about this prayer. It is a fighting prayer. The children are praying. You can hear them crying out even now in tongues that need to be interpreted. Daniel prayed privately, but he also prayed publicly because he said, I can pray privately, but you know what? Let the world hear. This is what prayer is. Back then, you know what prayer looked like for the ancient Near East? Let me listen to this, listen to this. Even as, we, even as we hear the cries of children, people would pray to Molech. They would sacrifice their own children. That's prayer? People would pray and they would do all of these kind of uh, atrocious things. All kinds of temple worship that, was, that, that, that involved sexual immorality. All kinds of horrible things. That's prayer? What Daniel is saying is, Babylon, that's how you pray? Let me show you what prayer looks like. Let me show you the purity of prayer. I said this weeks back, but have any of you ever had the experience of observing your parents pray? Watching somebody in secret praying and fighting. It is a beautiful sight to behold. You know that you're seeing something powerful. You know that you've just stepped into holy ground. Do you hear this? Daniel prayed with the windows wide open. 
And he said, this is prayer. And he fought through prayer. Let me share with this third and last heading, fighting prayer, a personal testimony of how I've been the recipient of fighting prayer. Just a few years after the Neolithic age and the Paleolithic age, when I was in my 20s, so going back 20 years ago, when I was in my 20s, I was the leader of our young adults ministry. And at that time, we had a pastor come into our church and take over our young adults ministry. I remember. And she was a woman. And I gave her such a difficult time. I still, re I still remember fondly um, her Korean name, Lee Sang-suk, Sang which I say with a lot of affection today. Lee Sang-suk she prayed for me, Pastor Lee, during this very difficult time where I was being difficult to her. I was very difficult. I was refusing to give up control. I was very honorary. I was, a, I was a, a, a hard leader to work with. Not only that, during that period of my life, I was undergoing a lot of doubts, crisis, conflict in my faith. There was an ambivalence about what I believed. At that point, I was just trying to run the show. But my faith was not there. And during that season, I remember experiencing something so profound in my life that it became uh, nothing short of a, a revival. I experienced a personal revival in my early 20s, my late teens, early 20s. A personal revival, yes, that's a, there's a thing called personal revival. The personal revival changed me so deeply that it was probably the single, I mean, second to becoming a Christian in the first place, it was, it was the most transformative event in my life. Uh, people around me, they began to recognize that Wayne can actually be humble. They began to recognize that this person can repent, that there can be changes in this life. Others began to change around me as well as I experienced this revival that became contagious. And finally, I remember having a conversation with Pastor Lee. And as I was talking with her, she told me, she disclosed to me that for eight months, eight months, she had, she had been praying nightly on her knees for me. And it blew my mind. That for eight months, as I was giving her a difficult time, for eight months as things were, as, as, as she was experiencing opposition from me, she prayed for me. What do you do when you experience opposition from somebody? You say, God, I pray that their car will fall off the bridge and will sink into the deepest water and alligators will eat them. Fighting prayer is when we take opposition and we pray through it. And that's what she did with me. And she did it for eight months. And I think about this to this day. What is eight months? Chan, what's eight months? Nine months? She's pointing here. It's gestation. It's gestation. It's the formation of a child. Can you pray for eight months, nine months, to gestate something, to spiritually birth something new? Fighting prayer is gestating prayer. Fighting prayer is stubborn. Fighting prayer opens the windows wide and says, I don't care who sees. People need to know this is the way forward. This is prayer. Fighting prayer 
is obstinate, it's stubborn, it's resolute, it's tenacious, it's persistent. Let us not be, conversely, weak in our prayers, anemic, contentless, prematurely consoled, lacking depth, persistence. So this is a call to prayer, a call to fighting prayer, but not just fighting prayer, but fighting praise as well. I want to conclude with three marks, three marks. How do I know my prayer fights? Three evidences, and I'll close with this. What are the three evidences that I am fighting through with my prayer? The first evidence that you are a person that pray, pray fights, dance fights, the, the evidence that you are the person who pray fights, firstly, first fill in the blank, is secret prayers, secret power. You are in touch with a secret power that ordinary people are not in touch with. Let me explain. Let's say the book of Daniel ended at chapter 6, where Darius threw Daniel into the lion's den because of his faithfulness in prayer, and then Daniel got gobbled up by the lions. The end. Thus ends chapter six, uh, Thus ends the book of Daniel. Well, the reality is for many, many Christians in the early church period, that was how their stories ended. For many Christians, their stories um, ended in the Colosseum. In fact, saying if you're able to pull up that picture again, you can see that early Christians probably familiar with the story of Daniel. Praying closed the lion's mouths, but God did not close the lion's mouths. Many Christians, in fact, most all Christians sent to the Roman Colosseums in the early times, they died martyrs' deaths. And I can't get into the stories right now. I could tell you the stories. I could tell you of Perpetua, of Felicity. I could tell you of the young guard, the Roman guard, who became a Christian as he watched Christians being, and he himself put himself forward for martyrdom. But the question is, if they died and the lions didn't, if the lions' mouths were not shut, were their prayers weak and ineffective? Was there no power? What do you think? What do you think? I remember hearing a story, a friend of mine, I'll sidetrack here, but hang with me. A friend of mine, she has a spinal condition since childhood. She sits in a wheelchair. She's been in a wheelchair for decades. And she went to a healing meeting. Actually, her friend carted her to a healing meeting when in her early, when in her youth years. And the revivalist tried to heal her and tried to make her stand. But she has a spinal condition. It's not that I have little faith, but I mean, this is a, this is a serious medical condition. The revivalist tried to make her stand. She couldn't stand. She fell to the ground, got back in the wheelchair, and as she's being carted back to, her, to the aisle, her friend is crying. And she in the wheelchair looks up and says, why are you crying? And the person said, you didn't have enough faith. Your prayers were not answered because you didn't have faith. But that's the question I want to ask. If your prayers are not answered, if God doesn't shut the lion's mouths, were your prayers weak? I would put forth that the answer is no. They were not weak. God is just doing something sub-level, underneath the waters, underground, deeper and more profoundly than you know. 
that just because the lion's mouths were not shut does not mean something powerful has not happened. One commentator puts this well. What happens when a state executes people that are praying for the state? Think of Chinese Christians, underground church, praying for the state. And they die praying. They're executed. But what happens? What happens, what happens powerfully is that the emperor's power to impose his will by death is stripped of him. That even the final law had to be publicly stripped and robbed of its power. And as the lions lap up the blood of the saints like milk, Caesar himself was stripped of his arms and was led captive in Christ's triumphal procession. In other words, friends, if the lions do not shut their mouths, if your prayers are not answered, there still is a secret power. There still is a secret power. Even if you feel like your prayers are not answered, press through, there is a secret power. Power that is so undefeatable because essentially it is defeat. Do you hear that? Power that cannot be defeated because it is essentially defeat. That's power. That's power. It's Eminem getting up in the front and telling you all of his weaknesses. In the end, you have nothing to diss him with because basically he's defeated you with his defeat. That's very gospel. Secret prayers, secret power. The second evidence that you're, you're, you are indeed fighting, that your prayers are fighting. The second evidence that you know your prayers are fighting is that you're able to find even keel even keel. And there's this picture, if you can pull that up, even keel. If you know what an even keel is, it's this long, um, it's a blade that sticks out on the bottom of a boat. And if you have a boat on rocky waters, and that's life, rocky waters, but it's the keel in the bottom, a long blade that keeps the boat from flipping over. It works as a ballast. The torque is what rights the ship back to the center. It's just like this. If this, is the, if this is the blade and this is the boat, even though the waters are going like this, the keel brings you back to the center, even keel. That's where we get the phrase even keel from. Prayer is your keel. Prayer is your keel. When you know that you're not doing well, when you know that you're not in a good place, when you know that you're, 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 you're off-center, off-center, when you fight through prayer, it brings us back to even keel. It brings you back to even keel. I don't know if any of you, just listen to this, have any of you ever had this experience where you, you've, you, you, you've, you're just, you know, to use last week's message, um, last week's message when uh, Belshazzar had knots in his stomach, right, if you remember that. If you feel all knotted up here, up here, knotted, confused, struggling, doubtful, discouraged, knotted up here, you can't sort it out. But what you do is in church or maybe in a revival meeting or in some kind of service, you sing, you, 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 you sing through it. You fight, you, you praise fight. You sing through it or you pray through it. You have a good cry 
or you have a good moment together with the Lord, it's not just catharsis. Somehow there's resolution. There's resolution. There's, there's clarity. Are you familiar with that word, clarity? And you rise from that place of prayer and you wipe away the tears and you can look the world in the eye with dignity because you've had your knots unknotted. You've had the knots unloosened just like Daniel did for Belshazzar. Do you know what we're talking about? It's this experience of even keel. The experience of even keel, of coming back to center. This is the evidence of prayer that fights. If you know that you're able to be an even keel human being, even in the midst of a lot going on, if you're able to rise and wipe the tears away and you're back at center, that is evidence that you are a fighter. You are a fighter if you know how to find center through your prayers. Be encouraged. There are some of you in this room who are fighters. I know that. You are fighters, and if I can just, if I can just exercise this, this, if I can just speak into this a little bit. You are a fighter because you've persisted when others have walked away. You are a fighter because when, when it's common for relationships to break apart, you've grown deeper. You are a fighter because you have found a way through, even in the midst of discouragement or doubt, you have found Jesus in the lion's den. You have found Jesus in the fiery furnace. You have found Jesus inside the place of difficulty. What if Daniel had no deliverance from the lion's den? What if Daniel had no deliverance from the fiery furnace? It doesn't matter. Because you found that you are not alone there. You're not alone in the furnace. You're not alone in the den. That enough is, that, that itself, that alone is enough for me. That alone is good enough for me. I'll take that. If the lions consume me, so be it, they eat my flesh. If the fire sears me to a crisp, so be it, so long as I know the presence of God in that place. That is fighting prayer. That's the prayer that brings us back to even keel. And that touches on the third and last evidence of fighting prayer. And that is God is the reward. I've touched on this already. There is no other reward. God is my reward. And I'm happy. I'm good with that. That's all I need. That if in the end my flesh is crisped and the lions are gnawing on my bones, God is the reward what is that song, Bobby? God is the strength of my heart. God is the strength of my heart. That's fighting prayer. That's fighting praise. It's when we say God is enough. I'll close with this story. A friend of mine, he's much older than myself. And he's nobody here. But he was losing his wife at one point in his life. He was losing his wife due to his own infidelities. And as they were separated for a season, he went to see a priest. And the priest asked him, listen, 
Do you love God more than you love your wife? Do you love God more than you love your wife? My friend responded at that time. He said, no, I don't. I want my wife back. I want to be back in my home. I want to be back with my kids. I love my wife more. And the priest said something so wise. So long as that's how you feel, you will not get God nor your wife back. You will not have either. Because your, your loves are disordered. Your loves are not ordered rightly. And until you order your loves rightly, you will find that you will not only not get your prayers answered, you will not get what you want, you will not have anything in the end. Friends, let us not just pray for, I need this, I want this, this is what I need. We have to learn to cease praying for anything and everything other than God. I'm not saying don't make supplication. But your hour of prayer, your precious hour of prayer, is it possible to just fill up that time saying, God, I'm seeking you? Or are we saying for the first 20 minutes, I'm going to pray for, I'm going to pray for my finances. In the next 20 minutes, I'm going to pray for my kids' future. In the next 20 minutes, I'm going to pray for this need and that. One hour goes by and we realize that all we've been doing is saying, God, I want to know you more in your power, in your resurrection, in the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. There is no other reward but fellowship with God. Daniel did not pray. Listen, and I close with this. He did not pray with the open window saying, God, please change Darius' mind. He didn't say, please give me deliverance. He didn't say, please smite my enemies and throw them in the lion's den. What it says in verse 10, all Daniel did was pray and give thanks. That is fighting prayer. It's very strategic. You know the best way sometimes to defeat an enemy is not to take that enemy head on. Where you have a problem and your brain is all knotted up and you're stuck in your midbrain because you're confused and you're, you're, you're angry and you're feeling rage and you're feeling reptilian. That's the middle brain. And you want to just throttle this person. You say, God, just, just, if I could just do the Star Wars chokehold through this prayer. And just do this and you're just trying to figure out this. No. Sometimes the way through a problem is not directly head on. But it is praying, giving thanks, God, the reward. It's not seeking resolution. It's seeking God himself. It's a way to get around the problem itself. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray and supplicate and ask God for resolution to things. I'm saying that sometimes God might not bring the resolution the way we hoped for. And that God might answer the prayers in a more profound way than you've ever realized. Let's close our eyes. The worship team comes up. There are many ways to pray. Many ways to pray. In fact, 
there's a series. We did a series here on prayer called Practical Prayer. And it's on our website. It's on our homepage, in fact. There's a link to Practical Prayer because people have asked, how do I pray? There are many ways to pray. It is very practical. But at this time, I want to invite you in particular to do what Daniel did in verse 10. Pray and give thanks. Don't try to solve or unknot the problem in your head. Just pray and fight through in that prayer. Give thanks. Thanksgiving is fighting. Gratitude is probably one of the most potent weapons of spiritual warfare. And so let's just pray at this time. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he prayed fervently and earnestly. He said, God, could you shut the lions' mouths? But not my will, but thy will be done. And he prayed, God, if this cup, if this cup can pass from me, please let it pass. Not my will, but thine be done. Isn't that a good prayer? Not my will, but thine be done. A hundred times a day I have to pray that sometimes. Especially when I'm stuck in midbrain. Definitely not my way. Because if I get my way right now, something bad is going to happen. I'm going to make it worse. So not my will, but thy will be done. You know, Jesus was the Daniel who went in the den. And he was the one that was eaten by the lions. Jesus was the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that went into the fire. But no, he didn't walk away. He burned. He burned up. But he showed us that in burning up, that in being consumed, the flesh being consumed, there is a power, a secret power that people cannot understand. It is defeat cannot be defeated because it is defeat. It is a greater power than the world has ever seen. Today, being Family Communion Sunday, first Sunday of every month, we celebrate communion. Let it be your prayer as well. Not my will, but